This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, let's get started. It's time for the panel and topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636. The Monday edition sees old friends and new. Uh, Adrian Batra, editor-in-chief of the Toronto Sun. How's Adrian? It's a great day for talk radio, John. Thank you for that, Adrian Batra. Mike Van Solen, principal at Navigator. How's Mike? Doing great. Nice to be out. Nice to be out and about. Uh, nice to be alive. Where the heck were you? <laughs> exactly. I just like to be out, out here out talking, with, talking with you folks a on a Monday day. afternoon. <laughs> I can some other my type of opening tough happening. crowd. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, sometimes you just want to rehearse these things in the green room. Or uh, not. Hi, no. John. <laughs> I was going to go with that. Uh, no, no, you know what? I actually like the more animated Mike Van Solen. Uh, Kim Wright is with us, principal at Wright Strategies. How's Kim? Fantastic. Happy the Monday gang is all together. I- indeed. By the way, uh, you know who's also uh, very overjoyed today? Jim Karagiannis, a Superior Court judge, has given him the keys back to his office. It says so right here. Uh, in a decision released this afternoon, Justice William Chalmers ruled that the campaign filing that the Scarborough Agent Court Counselor filed, which saw him automatically ousted, had been filed, quote, inadvertently, end quote, as Karagiannis' lawyer had argued in court. So it was a mistake. Rather than being an error of commission, where uh, he allegedly had overspent by 25000 so uh, what do we say to this, Adrian Batcher? Oh, happy day? Well, I think maybe for Jim Karagiannis, certainly. Um, unhappy day, I suspect, for Norm Kelly or anybody else <laughs> that was even considering um, running in that seat uh, for, the, for that ward. Um, my friend Kim Wright um, has forgotten more about these municipal issues than most of us will ever know. So I, I'm looking forward to what she has to say. But I would only say this. The challenge with the rules that the way they are written is there's only a nuclear option. There's no sort of a there's there's an appeal to the courts. certainly. Um, we've seen this movie before, not to this. Uh, it was a much more consequential degree. It was the former mayor. Um, but that's, I think, part of what's instructive about this is this is an opportunity. Like the, the rules need to be revisited. Going and doing a deep dive in Jimmy, um, Jim Karagiannis's finances, uh, campaign finances, is absolutely worthwhile to do and an important thing to do. Um, and if he violated it, yes, the consequence is this. But do we need the nuclear option? So we keep going back and forth like this. Does he have to fight it in court? Taxpayers are on the hook. Um, the I, I don't think that the uh, representation was continuous. Um, but I will say only this, politically, and it's maybe slightly cryptic, there's a lot of unhappy people down at City Hall right now don't want to see Jimmy K back in a seat. And why would that be? Well, I think that he's got a, a bit of a reputation to being a bit of a muckraker and so tends to be a little bit over the top sometimes. And um, maybe this is uh, this year's version of uh, George Giorgio Mammoliti, I mean, mm. I think is... All right. I just found it interesting that, you know, uh, the court had found that uh, he had filed his papers inadvertently, uh, which means like uh, you got a counselor reinstated who really has trouble with accounting. I mean, he's making mistakes inadvertently. Uh, Wouldn't they? I'm not going to impugn his character or reputation or whatever, but uh, it seems to me like, how do you do that inadvertently? I'm just curious, Kim Wright. Yeah, and have your forensic auditor look at it. But the courts, one of the challenges was that the legislation is, is the way the legislation is currently written, and it was actually just rewritten not that long ago, just before the last uh, last uh, municipal election, uh, to put this clause in because there used to be such leeway in what you could put under fundraising, quote unquote. And over the years, I'm not suggesting people might have 
have, you know, put some things in there that might not have been, shouldn't have been in there necessarily, but that was the way it was. So they tried to put some parameters around it. What's interesting, though, is that the courts uh, are suggesting that perhaps, or this particular justice was uh, suggesting that maybe this wasn't how the legislation was intended, or or maybe, or maybe, or maybe. The reality is, uh, if you're going to write a piece of legislation that says it's an automatic kick out of office if you... Um, if, if you have violated the rules in this way, uh, the province should have actually been the ones who were defending uh, their own legislation. And I get the politics. It was a previous government that did it, but it's still the municipal, the Ontario Municipal Act uh, that was uh, called into question on this. Parking all of that, Jimmy Kay will be at council tomorrow. Uh, there is still the ongoing compliance audit as to whether or not these were actually fundraising expenses or not, uh, he, and whether or not the monies he has raised for his legal bills post-election that will go into this, uh, how all of that uh, shakes out. I would suggest uh, to now reinstated Councillor Karagiannis, he might want to have a look at his uh, auditing team to make sure all of his I's are dotted and T's are crossed. All right, well, because... It matters. I mean, well, no, I, I know, but it, it was filed matter. inadvertently. Inadvert- well, so this is why you know Adrian talked for, about the for a seventy thousand dollar campaign to spend twenty seven thousand dollars on fundraising inadvertently or wherever it should have gone. There are questions that have to be answered, and that's why the compliance audit process is undergoing. But the reality is this: Jimmy K will be a council tomorrow, and probably. Maybe he'll be contrite. Maybe he'll be loaded for bear. I'm not taking bets on which one he's going to be tomorrow. <laughs> well, he'd argued from day one uh, that this was uh, a misunderstanding. So, Mike, anything to add to this? No. I know. Uh, I mean, my head's spinning. I don't know how the general public is supposed to understand it. You know, I've inadvertently left my wallet behind at someone's house. I don't know how you inadvertently <laughs> file something. Um, and I don't know how we're supposed to uh, understand this as the general public. Clearly, the rules went too far. My head spun around 180 degrees from he's gone. He did something terrible wrong to uh, what we're picking up his legal costs. I don't know. It's All terrible. Right. Well, it's like, you know, Maxime Bernier inadvertently left the file uh, with his gangster mall. Yeah, uh, it's one thing to Hillary inadvertently Clinton. leave something behind in a vehicle. It's another thing to um, spend $25,000, $27,000 on party expenses. And Oops. I think the challenge <laughs> I have with the counselor, the now counselor, again, um, uh, rationale was that it was, quote, inadvertent. This is not his first rodeo. He's run before. Um, Maybe we should go back and check his other financial statements and his filings. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that because he's been exonerated by the Superior Court, so now you know, and he will be uh, clicking his heels in council tomorrow. Let's talk about big money and uh, what it takes to actually run or contest the liberal leadership in this province. I did not know. It's $100,000 you got to put down. By the way, the deadline has come and gone. We're 31 minutes late in case anybody had aspirations. Darn, darn six it. people uh, put their names into the hat. Stephen Del Duca is considered, I guess, to be the, the, the primary consideration. There's Mitzi Hunter as well, uh, Michael Coteau from Don Valley East, and a couple of folks who uh, ran as candidates in the last election and didn't get anywhere uh, in Oakville, Burlington North, as well as London. So the idea that the liberals, you know, with a party of five now in the legislature, they're just been decimated. They got a $10 million debt they got to repay because they borrowed heavily in order to contest against Doug Ford. Do you think it's possible they could rise from the ashes in like Doug Ford's first mandate, turn it right around? Uh, Because no, I mean, I had a liberal consultant on from Ottawa earlier today saying there's so much disaffection with Doug Ford that this is an open door for them. And since, you know, they were they were bullish on the fact that uh, 
the liberals federally swept the GTA. They think they really got a shot, or he did anyway. He expressed that. How do you see it, Adrian? Well, I think the Liberals will certainly have a bounce back in the 2022 election. There's no question about that. Um, what happened last year was such a, I mean, such a super majority for the progressive conservative government that, um, you know, pendulums always do swing the other way. I do not, however, think for a moment that they're going to recapture, um, uh, you know, Queen's Park. I don't think that they'll become government again. But do I see a situation where they could be a stronger um Essentially, third party. Yes, uh, I think a lot of moves have to happen. It's going to see how Andrea Horvath does. Let's see how the uh, labor negotiations go with the education minister and the teachers. Uh, I think all of that angst and consternation that people were feeling with Premier Ford in the first year has uh, much of it has, has sort of tamped down. A lot of that is because they have an adult in the room now in, the, in at Queens Park in the premier's office in terms of the new chief of staff. And so there's all these factors, these moving parts. But it's also going to matter. Most of these individuals running for the liberal leadership and credit to them, you know, it's, it's always admirable when you when you put your name down to do something like that. No one knows who the hell they are. So they have no money to spend and just put forward a hundred grand of their own money or, or whatever borrowed money mm-hmm. to now put themselves out there. They're going to be desperate to get um, in, in front of cameras and on the radio and the newspaper. All of these things are going to happen over the course of the next few years, but they will not form the next government. No. All right. Uh is that a consensus around the table? I didn't want to belabor this point because, I mean, yeah, I think also the, ran status. Well, yeah. Look, there are a lot of people who want to run for leadership politics and forget how big this province is. Uh, it is it is huge, and when you're you know dodging moose and capus casing and Kenora uh, in the middle of winter, you kind of remember. Ooh, lots of people to talk to, lots of places. You can't just be a GTA or southwestern Ontario. Uh, type of leader, and it's going to be a lot harder than they think from coming back from uh, from not having official party status, having worked for a party that has done that a couple of times. It's not as easy uh, to do, and especially with the way that the election financing rules are now. Yeah, in fact, uh, they would not get taxpayer funding uh, because they don't have party status. Is that right, Mike? That's right. Um, look, I think any of these people seeking the liberal leadership need to be committed to kind of a two-election strategy. For sure. And and raising the $100,000 to get in, that's because the party does need money. And, and in part, they're picking the chief fundraiser for the next uh, you know six years as well. That's a big part of it, uh, just to run credible campaigns. But, you know, it's a pretty topsy-turvy world, world in, in politics. And, you know, elections matter. We're still two and a half years out. So, you know, for the other parties, the Conservatives, the NDP, uh, you know, I wouldn't count them out. They're going to have a, have someone new in, in, uh, in the chair soon. And uh, they will be a force. The Liberal Party is not going to be at five seats. They're definitely going to climb back into place. So um, uh, probably a two-election strategy. I think conventional wisdom holds there. But, uh, but no one should take for granted that they're uh, down and out. Yeah, and the, the other reason that they're raising the hundred grand uh, is that they need to be able to pay for that convention. Uh, those things aren't cheap, and this party does not. The, the Liberal Party of Ontario has no money, and so uh, they have to do that. It's a it's a lot, but you know what? Kudos to everyone who's running. There are some really interesting candidates uh, that are that are running, and even really? in even in the also ran category, really? uh, people like Kate Graham are 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 really getting a lot of grassroots buzz. Whether that translates, she lost in London. She didn't even win in her own riding last time out. You know, the New Democrats do quite well down in London, so I'm not really surprised. And yeah. the, the candidates that we ran there but are actually quite extraordinary. But but they are doing some interesting conversations, and it's really difficult to get noticed. But um, I've been seeing, especially on her social media track, she's doing quite well. well. But last time the Liberals had a leadership race was Sandra Pupatello versus Kathleen Wynne. And everyone expected the sort of 
liberal establishment expected that it would be Sandra Pupatello. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Kim makes a valid point that there are these also rants that may get some of the debate based on how their rules are going to be, the writing associations, that's all very confusing. But here's what I would also say, though. Some of these people that are down on the, um, that are moving forward, Stephen Del Duca, Michael Cotto, for example, um, he's running, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I was like, I was pretty sure I saw his name. Um, they were part of the Wynn McGinty government. Right. So they have to show how they're different. And that's going to take, you know, like Mike says, to a couple of, of um, potentially election well, cycles. They got baggage. But right now, they have to... So, yeah, people can be ticked off at the current government, but they still remember what happened over the last, you know, 10 years before that. So well, I would hope so. I, you know, unless they've got collective amnesia here after oh, I don't three think so. or four years. But, by the way, uh, there may be another aspect to this where they might factor in that Doug Ford is going to leave provincial politics to go federal. Let me ask you, uh, Adrian, you've got your finger on the pulse as far as this is concerned with uh, Doug Ford. Now, some have labeled him Captain Canada. You I, know. I believe I did the other day on Global. Well, uh, I did it two weeks ago. Because you're, I, I took from no, you, John. No, no, I'm just uh, I'm goofing with you. Uh, but listen, uh, the fact that uh, he has shifted in attitude and position, I'm hearing now that he's also taken French lessons. Do you think he has federal aspirations? I think that anybody um, would be silly to discount Premier Ford in any capacity in which he wants to serve. But I can tell you this. Doug Ford really likes the job he has right now. And he is very much intending on keeping it, as far as I know. Um, there's still a leader of the Federal Conservative Party of Canada. And until that is different, then the then the goalposts will be moved. Right now, however, um, I think Doug Ford feels and believes he has a job to finish. And I don't think that he's going to abandon that um, for potentially lofty goals to run federally. How about you, Mike? I think uh, Adrian's nailed it. For the time being, we as federal conservatives have a leader in place. I know that there's, as there is after any election loss, especially a difficult one, there's a lot of time where you, uh, gnashing of teeth and, uh, and looking at, you know, is there someone better at the helm? Uh, but right now, I think the party's sort of, uh, you know, chilling out. Frankly, we know we have till April to to consider Shear's leadership. Um, Why is he taking I, French lessons? <laughs> he's an ambitious guy. Okay, he's an ambitious guy. He he wants to play a role as a nation builder, and you can do that as premier. He's already uh, reached across to other premiers, and he's looking at ways to uh, uh, to play a, a bigger role. He's he came out of the meeting with the prime minister just the other day. Speaking like such a statesman and so fair, and, you know, even when the reporters asked him the question, well, you know, the prime minister really beat up on you during the election. He goes, well, hey, we we both have uh, big political families. We know how this goes. It's just politics. I mean, he wasn't taking the bait on anything. So uh, I think he has quite a uh, a position of influence just where he is today, and, and maybe that's what this is about. All right. Or maybe, you know, that Francophone University or whatever, uh, he wanted to establish that, but do it in the other language. Look, he has had, uh, he's beaten up on the Francophone community pretty hard in the first six months of his term. In fact, that's uh, changing some of the uh, funding allocations, getting rid of uh, some of the programming. He actually had an MPP who crossed the floor because of how how they took away a number of funding programs. So, uh, you know, this is a a bilingual province. There are lots of places uh, across the province from, you know, the Windsor area right up to the north that 
that do actually have a number of Francophone communities in them, I think it's important. I think if you're going to talk to Premier Legault uh, and have a real conversation, you should know what his aides are saying over on the side corner. All right. I think all of these things are good. I think every every leader in Canadian politics should be able to at least understand French, uh, if right. not I, I being got able your to speak. Point. I got your point. Now, here's your thing. When you mentioned Legault, and uh, he in Quebec, you know, has uh, an interesting uh case on his hands with Bill 21. Now, Andrea Horvath, the NDP leader, put more forth a motion uh, for the province to officially condemn this Bill 21 that doesn't allow anybody in the public sector to wear religious garb and so on and so forth. She made that announcement this morning, and she actually called out Doug Ford on this. She continued by pointing uh, and turning the attention on to Doug Ford. I'm calling on Doug Ford as the Premier to uphold the values of our province uh, in his words and in his actions. His continued silence on this issue is indefensible. Now is the time to show leadership. All right, so she's condemned it outright, thinks the province ought to get actively involved in this. I don't know, do you sense a trap here, Mike Van Solen? She basically wants to drive a wedge between Ford and Legault? She does. I, I, I don't think she'll be successful, though. I think uh, the Premier Ford is able to speak to the uh, problems of Bill 21. It's not something his government supports. Um, we'll see where this motion goes. They may well support it. I think the Liberals did something uh, similar uh, a little while, a little while ago. So... Um, what I would love to see is instead Andrea Horvath and the Premier and, and the, the Liberal Party sort of hold hands on this one because I think we have a shared view uh, across the political spectrum that Bill 21 is one of the, one of the more repugnant pieces of legislation in, in Canada today. It's a shame that the federal leaders uh, weren't able to speak more uh, vociferously about that during the during the past election. So it's up for the provincial legislatures, I think, to do that. So um, I don't know why she would necessarily play politics on it and instead should be looking to uh, join forces so that the Ontario legislature as a whole could uh, could speak to it. What do you think, Adrian? What's her uh, game plan here, her M.O.? I don't know if she knows. I think that she just woke up one day and thought, okay, this is something I want to take a stab at. Um, and I like Andrea Horvath. I just I just don't see... I, I, I find her to be a generally ineffectual leader of the opposition right now. And she's been around a long time. And something like this only goes to, I, I think, potentially try to embarrass Doug Ford when it's not really going to embarrass Doug Ford because Premier Ford never once for a moment said, I support this racist piece of legislation in the province next to us. He's never even, um, you know, intimated anything even close to that. So I just, I don't, I don't get the rationale. Well, I'm guessing this is just speculating, but uh, Doug Ford, and Legault, I mean, uh, he'd like to have Legault on side, you know, for some of uh, his own plans here. And if they can drive a wedge, meaning Andrea Horvath, uh, because Quebec supports this Bill 21. It's a secular, this is what they're positioning themselves as a secular province. And they believe the collective uh, approach is more important than individual rights being. I agree. Held. I think that you're giving the NDP far too much credit. Hey, now. <laughs> so let's. <laughs> Let's take a step back. I've been as polite as I'm going to be on this one, Adrian. Look, Andrea Horvath uh, is doing what the leader of an opposition party should do, which is pushing the government of the day, who have, as Adrian put it earlier, a supermajority, to move this on the legislative agenda to formally declare that this is wrong, uh, that most people in Ontario, in fact, most of the people around this 
table, I, I would suspect all, agree with Andrea that this should be declared as something that is wrong and not well, supported. Well, Mike said then do but, it in conjunction with so, all parties showing what, solidarity. That's what she did. She is moving forward a piece of legislation uh, as the leader of the opposition is putting forward a le- piece of legislation that I believe, if it hasn't already, will be getting all party support. The, the Premier of Ontario in his Captain Canada kumbaya moments of the world is meeting with uh, Premier de Legault, uh, I think later this week or early next week, and he also has the, uh, he's hosting the next Council of the Federations, mm-hmm. which is the meeting of all the premiers. So if you can have a number of the premiers, including of the largest province in the country who is hosting your meeting, say, uh, hey, by the way, Premier Legault, you're completely offside on this, and this is why. Well, where were the federal leaders? To Mike's point, we just had a federal election. Well, last I checked, Andrea Horvath wasn't the federal leader no, of the I'm New just Democrats. All the she's parties. doing her job there as is the leader of the official opposition in Ontario, and I'll, I think she's actually doing an effective job at it in terms of this particular legislation and moving it forward because they're getting right. unanimous on, consent on, on this. campaign, um, there's more outrage outside of Quebec than there is uh, on Bill 21. Like, Quebecers aren't upset about this. They're not, not fussed by all. this. No. And, and to Premier uh, Legault is going to sit around the Council of the Federation and be around the... He doesn't give one rat's rear end what the rest of Canada thinks with respect to this. You can denounce, you can you know vilify, you can bemoan, you can do this. They don't care. Well, except that they can use this to their advantage and point to, uh, again, poor, pitiful, uh, you know, Quebec is being picked on by the rest in Confederation. I think that's probably uh, one of the the ways he will uh, frame this. I wanted to come back because, you know, when we talk about uh, what leadership implies and what uh, where you pick your fights, the CN rail worker strike is uh, turning out to be disastrous for a lot of parties. Uh, and so where are our political elites on that? We're into uh, like day nine or ten, and earlier today we're talking to... Uh, the head of the Chemistry Association of Canada. The farmers are also uh, obviously distressed by this. My question, and it was to the gentleman, Mike, I'll ask you, I mean, why is Parliament waiting until December 5th to uh, come back to either legislate back to work or get the ball rolling in arbitration? Uh, should they not at least signal that right here and now? Isn't this an emergency of national I th- consequence? I think it is. I think it's having major economic consequences. Uh, they took a long time to put the cabinet together. They've done that. They should be in the House today, frankly, and uh, even for a one-day session for back-to-work legislation. This is economically crippling. Adrian? Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself than Mike has uh, made, made it very clear what the reality is in this country, and um, that's what should be happening right now. All right. Uh, legislate back to work, or at least an emergency session of the House, because, you know, we were also told uh, they get back December 5th, and then by the time this all gets sort of established that the uh, folks want to, you know, have an arbitrator decide, it's still maybe a two-week window before anything gets impacted that way. Uh, we could be well into December and farmers are going to lose their crops out west. Does anybody care? You know what would be really extraordinary and wonderful for all is if CN and the Teamsters got back to the darn table and kept negotiating as they should be. You know, everyone says, well, we need to legislate and back to work. Every time we do either, uh, you know, essential services or legislate back to work or push into arbitration, it ends up costing more. At the end of the day, a a negotiated settlement is always the best and everybody just wants to sit here and twiddle their thumbs and wait till the fifth or whatever. 
CN and Teamsters get back Cost, to the table. It's costing the economy a lot of so money. CN so they, so and they, they, I know that I know that would be a beautiful, a beautiful uh, solution, but it's not happening. So they have to be put back at the table. It will end up being a richer deal for the Teamsters. They shouldn't complain about it. Um, but they're not so a government. They have, they CN have to is get no longer a government run. It's no longer a government run service. Really, what does the government have to do with all of this? Well, sure, they want to put moral suasion on that. Fine, but the reality is that the two parties who need to settle this agreement need to get back to the darn table. That's a valid it's more point, than, it's more but than it's going to be more than that. It's, it's, and the last thing Justin Trudeau wants is his first act of, as prime minister, really, other than this cabinet he put together last week, to be legislating workers back to work. I, I think that's there's an anathema towards that. But Mike's Where's not the, wrong. Where, there where, is a massive burden on our economy right now. Right. And the Teamsters and CN is not coming back to the table. we got to force their hand. Where's the Minister of Middle Class Prosperity? Exactly. We, where is she on where this is issue? Where is she on this? Yeah, still she doesn't know what the hell she does. Still defining her, her job description. We're going to end on that note. Thank you, <laughs> panel. Adrian Batra, Kim Wright, and Mike Van Solen. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.